All right, are you ready? Well, I'm getting at some sort of thing. Tornado warning. Great. Take shelter now in a basement. <laughs> in a basement? Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine, and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right, it's my turn. I, uh, by default, chose a story that I had just recently shared with you. By default. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a piece of flash fiction called Dinosaur by Bruce Holland Rogers, and it was written in 2006. Did you get a, a word count on it? I'll do it right now. It's literally three paragraphs. It's 200. Hold on a second. Yeah. So there's a tornado heading towards the vineyards right now radar indicated and uh we are just north of there great are we done i uh (laughs) we can finish this tomorrow tomorrow in the middle of the hurricane i might not have power for the next like week we can finish it whenever all right (laughs) see you later okay bye bye Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christina and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. So the last time we tried to record this podcast, there was a horrible natural disaster. We're going to try again. It <laughs> interrupted <laughs> a very, very short story that I picked for my turn. It's called Dinosaur by Bruce Holland Rogers. I think we knew the word cat at one point, but it's well, You three. were looking it up when I uh, <laughs> tornado warnings were going off. So. <laughs> I was doing very important work while John kept his family safe. (laughs) And we could look it up again here real quick, but it's literally three paragraphs, 294 words. So it's definitely flash fiction, but it's just one of those ones, whether it was flash or longer, I just love it. I talk about the story all the time. um, And I think that's how we decided I should finally just share it. I think we were emailing about it. John's like, so you're just going to do that one. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think I will. So he became a tax accountant, even though he sometimes regretted it because it made him feel, well, small. And he felt even smaller when he was no longer a tax accountant, but a retired tax accountant. Still worse, a retired tax accountant who forgot things. He forgot to take the garbage to the curb, to take his pill, to turn his hearing aid on. Every day it seemed he forgot more things, important things, like where his children lived and which of them were married or divorced. Then one day when he was out for a walk by the lake, he forgot what his mother had told him. He forgot that he was not a dinosaur. He stood blinking his dinosaur eyes in the bright sunlight, feeling its familiar warmth on his dinosaur skin, watching dragonflies flitting among the horsetails at the water's edge. The only reason I didn't read the whole thing is because we're not sure about... Copyright infringement. (laughs) Yeah, like what we're allowed to do with full pieces. But basically it starts out, it starts out with him talking about as a kid, like this little boy wanted to be a dinosaur. He was always like stamping around the house and his parents were like, stop it. And so he became a tax accountant instead. It just feels to me like a perfect short story because you remember specifics from it, but overall you remember the feeling, you know? Every time I think about this story, I can recall the feeling that it wants to achieve by the end. I think sometimes we remember stories and we're like, oh yeah, that was a really good one, or yeah, that made me sad. But this one, like specifically, I can recall every time, like, oh, it's like nostalgic and it's sad and it's about Alzheimer's and aging and I don't know. It's like, it's, there's no like waste of here. Yeah, it crams so much. And when you think about it too, it, it covers an entire lifetime, you know? It talks about this little boy and then him being a very old man. I don't think there's tons of stories that do that well in a way that's memorable. But yeah, I don't know. I just I think about this story a lot. Do you like it, John? Oh, yeah, I really do. It is compact and it accomplishes quite a bit for its compactness. I mean, that's the kind of thing you can study this to see how how all the words work together to create so much more than seems possible in such a short space. Yeah. Like you can do with most flash, like really good flash fiction is mm-hmm. see how things can be suggested without being said. Yeah. I think what's interesting about this to that point, 
your point about like things being suggestive versus said is that this seems to be written about a guy like a boomer or older who chose this path in life that was like typical and safe and mainstream. And he seems to be of a generation that wouldn't necessarily tell anyone. I used to act like a dinosaur as a kid, you know? So we get through this short story insight into what it was really like for him to choose this safe, predictable route and to realize that by the end, even though he had a family and he was successful, that he wasn't fulfilled. It just seems like a unique character to kind of be able to pull out this much emotion when this is the type of character that maybe in real life would be reluctant to talk about their feelings, like their internal world. And so there's there's lines like the one that I just mentioned where you're saying like things suggested versus said, where he's like, uh, so he became a tax accountant, even though he sometimes regretted it because it made him feel, well, small. And this is like written in, you know, like close third. He's not saying, I feel small. But the narrator is suggesting that, you know, this is how he feels. I'm impressed that way that you can pull so much out of a character that probably wouldn't want to talk to you in real life. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that's that's part of those what's I didn't think of it in him as being somebody who didn't talk about it. Just, you know, we don't always share everything that happened in our childhood in general, you know. Yeah. Especially it's it was his parents who uh who pushed him. They were like, you know, you're not a dinosaur, what do you want to do? And then somebody uh suggested a tax account at some point and he was like, All right, I'll go with that. But the ending part is he forgot he was not a dinosaur. So that's like the idea is that at some point in his childhood, he internalized the idea that he should not pretend to be a dinosaur, should not tromp around being a dinosaur. And uh, it's kind of like just this, a story more. I, I read it as a story about suppressing childhood inclinations, you know, and what does it take at the end of your life to return to those? And in this case, it takes dementia you know it takes you know some pathology to remember the freedom you had as a child to just to be what you actually wanted to be and that Mm -hmm. he gets to return to that so it's the fact that he gets to return that to that is kind of a um it makes you feel good it's like it's a happy feeling but the fact that he's losing all this other like the the, what gets him there and he couldn't do that throughout his life because of all this imposition upon him makes it sad like what you were talking about before with like a little bit of like that feeling of nostalgia is such a complicated feeling because it's a sadness but it's also an you know a happiness about something in the past that's been lost right but you're sad you lost it you know there's all these yeah. things wrapped up in it so so it's a complicated emotion that's played out in a in a really cool way yeah i guess why i'm latching on to like the idea that this is like a private guy is like i think when people get alzheimer's too it's it can be an embarrassing disease right because mm-hmm. they're often like these extremely articulate intelligent people that are suddenly losing their ability to like communicate or remember things and they have no control over that and so when it talks about like he forgot to take the garbage to the curb to take his pill to turn his hearing aid on every day it seemed he forgot more things important things like where his children lived and which of them were married or divorced so you're right it's about you know being able to like do like you said what you wanted to do as a kid and it's sad that this is what it took for him to get there but i'm reading it too and it's kind of sad because like almost alzheimer's is one of those things that you can like determine pretty early on i know these days like whether or not you're likely to develop it so it's sad to think that like we all die obviously but if he was also destined to like lose his faculties this way then it's sad to think that he did spend the bulk of like these intervening years not as happy as he could have been you know 
the story is it starts off as like is being something and then his mother says you're not a dinosaur and his father asks him what do you want to be mm-hmm. and then the second paragraph is all concerned with what is he who is he right is he a teacher is he a tax accountant and oh it turns out he's a tax accountant but now he's a retired tax accountant and now he's a tax account a retired tax accountant that forgets things until the end now now he's a dinosaur so it's it's wrapped around in like what he gets to be who who is he it's this like overriding question for his whole life and he only gets to be what he really is when he loses everything else and alzheimer's is the way that he loses everything else i think what i like about this too is obviously that his dream as a child was not to be something you can actually be right you can't be a dinosaur <laughs> that's right yeah not just because it's not a career and doesn't make money but because it's physically impossible <laughs> so i think this would be uh, like a much different story if it was like when he was young he wanted to be an astronaut right like and his parents reeled him in and said like that's really cool but it's unlikely so why don't you do this really you know if you think about today like if you have a kid that wants to be i don't know a famous author you might discourage him or her (laughs) because it's not likely and uh you'd like to maybe support your family anyway he wants to be something like impossible so of course his family of course society is going to say like no 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 like he can't do that but obviously i think dinosaur is just like a metaphor for like literally anything else that you feel called to yeah i mean that's how i read it like dinosaur is just like the strongest visual so you're picturing this kid just like having a blast like with his imagination and then i think especially like because i like i said i'm picturing this guy having been born in like i don't know like the 40s or 50s and imagination is like no longer prized at that stage right it's like let's do what's right and responsible and it gets kind of just like crushed out of him because it's just it's not realistic but it's also better and right and respectable to do this other thing it's sad because you wonder you wonder what this guy could have been if he was allowed to be anything he might have just been like happier in general we don't get a lot of insight into these intervening years for this guy but you get the sense that he resigned himself to something we don't necessarily know that he found other ways to be happy we get the sense that he had a family and he had a career and he was well off and like this is probably the worst thing that happened to him is that he's going to go out this way with like alzheimer's you know it doesn't talk about like and then he lost his job and then he became an alcoholic no like he had a very nice life but like internally it sounds like he wasn't totally fulfilled and that's what's sad is like to think about people that have to admit to themselves that what they really really want they might not get that's the overwhelming sense for this story you know and what's what i think about these stories too is like what his obit would read like his obit would be like he was successful and he was a happy family man and it would also be like the flattest obit ever because you would kind of realize to yourself that there's something missing in terms of like a spark in this guy it was gone there's tons of men and i I am speaking about like men in particular right now of this era who like were forced into these like kind of roles and like were not encouraged to talk about how they felt about it, you know, and I think they all can tell you the very like timeline details of their lives in terms of their promotions and their stock options, but they don't have like super fond memories of, I don't know, their marriage maybe. It's because something was beaten out of them. <laughs> yeah. I, the, I There's nothing in here that's, I guess, what's specifically time bound is nothing. tax accountancy, maybe the discovery of the dinosaurs that had to be after the dinosaurs were known to exist. I, I'm just, I have no connection.
connection to time at all when I read this story. Like I can read the story yeah. and project it as his childhood happening now and his dotage happening now, right? Yeah, I guess I'm reading it. It was published in like 2006. When I first read it, it was probably literally like 10 years ago. And so mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself like 10 years ago, this guy was 80 or 90. And so you're just projecting backwards from there. Yeah. It's an interesting feature of reading how we place things in our landscape of understanding, you know, like, yeah. like for me, when I read the childhood section, I think of it as happening right. now because maybe it's because I have kids. I can like see them. Mm-hmm. They pretend to be things, you know, I remember when they were young, they like to pretend to be the big bad wolf and stuff. Now they play different games, but they're always pretending, right? So I can totally right. see that this is happening now. And then based on that, I don't project that childhood back in time. Okay. But if you read the story as a whole, it makes sense what you're talking about, where you, you read the, you get to the ending and you're like, okay, so this person must be older. Therefore, yeah, let me do the math. And he would have been born this time. So his childhood would have been then it's just such an interesting feature of reading you know it's something to think about when, as a writer that if you don't put the specific clues in your readers are going to take it the way that they're and like maybe there's different reading styles or certain readers do the math and certain readers don't i don't know but if you don't have a specific clue in there as to what the time is, somebody's going to assign it to a time that you might not think about or might not have intended. And they'll interpret it along those ways. They'll kind of right. like read into its its themes as if it were the way that they've read it. I don't know. That's a when we talk about flash fiction and what it suggests, like as a writer, you're not always paying attention. You're not always suggesting things that readers are going to apply it to. I don't know if that's that's not a problem, I don't think, for writers, but it's something to definitely think about as your writing is if you want to be very specific about time period yeah or if time period doesn't even matter and you're like that's fine where they can assume it's 1790 or 1940 or whatever then you can approach it in different ways yeah I have a tendency when I write stories not to include things that like give away that it's like 2022 or, you know, modern times. So like I almost yeah. like never mention like cell phones if it's like, a you know, there's certain things like that where I like leave it out because I don't want it to like, I don't know. I don't even like like brand names. Like I won't say like a Pepsi. You know what I mean? Oh, I know exactly. I feel like I yeah. write in the eternal 90s. <laughs> like all yes, my characters, exactly. everything happens in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not, e- it's not even like I'm thinking to myself, I want this to be of the 90s. I'm just thinking to myself, I don't want it to be so specific that people assume things about the characters because they assume that they're like of this current time. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe I just don't want anyone to think my characters are like Gen Z or something. <laughs> and I'm sure there's someone that's articulated this before where like every writer probably writes like of their time in a way, right? Just like oh. every old person yeah like you can't help it but you also are probably like of the mind that like these are the good times these are good old days yeah so like a story like this there you're right there's nothing specific except that i am like just kind of making assumptions and like doing the math and stuff like that but i do think too that whether or not you intend to do it and i could ask this bruce holland rogers guy like how well you know like what generation is this guy from that you thought of and i'm sure he has like some kind of an answer but if i was gonna write this character like i couldn't help but bring my own like sensibilities to it and then it might just read like a different era because that's just what I'm like familiar with like I can't help but just infuse that so I imagine he's writing about this and like he probably can't help but like think about I don't know his own dad or you know whatever it is so there's like things like that that this might not be the best example because I did do like kind of probably mental math the first time I read it but there's just certain things that you can't help but bring to a character that are going to make them of that time period like so even though I never mentioned like a cell phone there's probably like tendencies and quirks that my character's 
have that are like very modern you know when you think about like i don't know any like modesty or like courtship i don't know those are probably like some of the most obvious things that you could look oh, for. oh yeah like yeah there's a difference between writing someone who's living in 1320 and somebody who's writing yeah. living in 2020 <laughs> yeah like and that's like obviously like a very stark contrast but you, i mean even like decade by decade you know like you could probably yeah. tell if i was writing about like a like someone my mom's age versus like someone my age yeah and then my point about as a writer sometimes you want it to be temporarily bound then you put those details in so that they know like oh so and so has a you know they live in a fiefdom and they have a lord and they they work the land you know so oh this is back in the middle ages or something you know so then yes. you know you can then you can assume all the cultural things that go with that as a reader right. Or if it doesn't, if you don't want to, you know, you can have the unconscious things that you include, but you don't have to like say whatever thing to make it set in the 80s instead of right. the 2010s or whatever. Right. Oh, that was the other thing I was going to go on to say is when I first read it, I kind of put his childhood. I forgot about this until I was just glancing down and I saw the word pirate. I was like, pirate to me dates it. Like if he if he as a child is interested in pirates. Yeah. yeah. Now this is from my experience. That feels like his childhood happened in like the 2000s, right. like the early the first decade of the 21st century, because that's when the Pirates of the Caribbean was huge. And like it just pirates was part of the cultural landscape for oh. various reasons. And so I was putting his childhood back then. And that's, this is written in 2006, so it kind of follows from that. And then I projected his old age into the future, like the story of this old age yes. was in the future, but also in the present because I'm reading it in the present. And so, yeah. but that's pro that might be the clue that I picked up on that, that made me think of it that way. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Not clue, but, you know, just detail. Right. I mean, this is like a totally different kind of subject, but the other thing that we mentioned early on was that this story happens to cover, you know, his entire lifetime. And I think this is obviously an extreme example of how to do that because it's not a detailed telling of his life. But I think uh, a lot of times when people want to tell a story that covers this much time, they really struggle to like go from like, well, how do I show this character going from here to here? You know, like what's important to like highlight? I don't think we often encounter that, like even in our workshop where people want to cover more than like a week. You know what I mean? They're usually like compact in terms of timeline too. They are, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or we'll we'll even like ask people like how much time does this cover and they don't always have like a sense because that's not really what they're preoccupied with like how much time is passing but for this story I think like one of the maybe lessons you can kind of look at in terms of how they covered that much ground is just that they obviously focus very tightly on one sentiment which is what he hoped to be and how that carried through his life yeah. so like uh, we've talked about this before on the podcast like if it's a proof you know and you're picking things to prove your point. So it's like, pick the strongest anecdotes that point to this overall theme. So this story does not have stuff about like anything other than what he thought he would be, hoped to be, decided to be, and ended up being, you know, like yes. it's kind of career wise, but like imagination wise. And I think if you're thinking to yourself, like, I want to tell the story of like someone's life, but you want there to be like a takeaway more than this is a step by step biography for the historical people that like want to know everything about like, I don't know, President Garfield, my favorite. So unless you wanted to do like some kind of like blow by blow for this like historical fiction, then it is best and strongest for you to like try to stick to a theme in terms of like what you're going to cover in this person's life, you know? That's because exactly like I said, right, we don't yeah. know much about this character other than what he wanted to be. This story focuses, like you said, on the moments where his kind of sense of identity changes. Like, who is he? It's a dinosaur. Maybe it's some kind of hero. Oh, I guess he's going to be an accountant. And then, you know, all those different changes in his identity. I could see a version of this where each of those moments is 
is dramatized in a scene instead of just kind of like being the subject of a sentence the way, because this is only 300 words. Yeah. And then you get a 3000 word story that dramatizes each of those moments, but then covers the same amount of space. And you would find additional things and additional emotions and um, maybe even a few additional themes to kind of explore with that. And then you could even extend, extend it out into a novel. But the key that you're pointing out here is that you find what are the important individual moments that build up the story you're telling. This seems obvious because, you know, we're storytellers, so you find the pieces of the story. But the story only happens in those things where the main thing you're showing us is changing. So do you have a takeaway from this story, John? Yeah, my takeaway is something totally different than when you kind of mentioned point of view earlier, but I was thinking about this just in terms of point of view, because we used to talk about point of view a lot in the podcast when we first started, or I did anyway. But I just think it's it's an interesting thing to think about as a as a writer. It's like where each sentence is coming from and what you're what you're looking at and what you're where the viewpoint is looking from. Because it's not obvious in a lot of places. You know, in the third person, it's not it doesn't always feel like it's coming directly from a character. But sure. when we read, we kind of assume it is. It's most obvious point of view stuff when it's talking about something that's like his feelings because you know right. you can't see feelings you, you have to be inside of somebody to know what their feelings are so it made him feel small he felt even smaller when he was no longer a tax accountant but a retired tax accountant like those sentences that have feelings in them you know that it's it's his point of view but if it's just one day he was out for a walk by the lake you don't necessarily know where that's coming from except the sentence goes on to say he forgot what his mother had told him so you know that it's inside of his head but just how you piece those things together i could write a paper i could write like a seven thousand word paper just going from sentence to sentence and how the point of view shifts with each word you know but that's the kind of thing that um you don't have to think about as a writer but every once in a while you might want to tune into right just so that you you know keep tabs on on what you're doing that makes sense kind of (laughs) keep tabs on what you're doing (laughs) Well, I I think um, a lot of writing is intuitive. You just kind of write it and then it's on the page. But I think one of the most most important things about writing is going back and making sure that it's a craft. So you have to craft it. Sometimes your first guess is wrong. So your intuition doesn't, it gets you partway there, but not all the way there. So going back and paying attention to those things can help uh, make sure that you get the story to express what you're trying to get it to express. And viewpoint, I've been reading a lot of stuff lately. I finished that other paper and I've been thinking about another paper, just concentrating on point of view, because I feel like point of view in certain ways kind of dictates everything in Mm -hmm. fiction. I mean, I think you can analyze fiction different ways so that whatever thing you're looking at dictates everything. But at the moment, I'm thinking a lot about point of view. Yeah. I think my only kind of takeaway is that because this is such a strong story, I feel like I remember all of it. But I think what makes it strong is not just like the length or anything, but like we talked about how all of the points just connect to that main theme for this character's life. And I think a takeaway can kind of be like... Like we said, if you're going to write a longer story that encompasses like years and years, like stick to a theme. But I think the reverse is true, too. If you have an idea for like a theme for a character's life, there's something about like the length that does make it strong. It's not like, wow, I can't believe they did all that in that small package. It's like, no, it's the small package and that small delivery. And it's like contained and it's like uh, it's like concentrated, you know? Yeah. So I think if you have a really strong concept, like see if you can do it like really short. I, I like that because that's I mean, that's kind of what I was talking about before with 
you know, if you have a theme and you just focus on just those moments when that theme is being expressed, like I said, you could expand them into scenes, you could do all this stuff, or you can just distill them down to their essence and just get right at what that core emotion is. If you do start broadening it, you're going to discover more themes. You're going to discover other things to say that kind of go along with it. And that distills it. That kind of, not just the opposite, that kind of dilutes it. Yeah. So I wrote a thing the other day, I had this idea for a story and I knew the story had to get this girl on top of a hill, right? <laughs> That's where the, the main action was going to happen. So I wrote a paragraph and just said, okay, this is why she went out to the top of the hill and this is what she found there. And then the, and she's standing there and story is ready to go. And I, did, I was like, no, I need to develop this. I can't just have her standing there. That story needs more leading sure. up to the moment where the story is going to happen because there's like other stuff that needs to be introduced. She can't just be standing there. We have to feel the world before we get to the hill. Sure. So that needed more. And I rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it till it was like a couple of pages to get her finally to that same place that I got in four sentences originally. Yeah. Because I knew that I needed to do that. Whereas you could go the other way if you realize I don't need all these pages to get my character here. I can just get my character here because that's what's important. It's just understanding what you want the story to do. If you want to do just express this like kind of emotional moment, right? even if the moment takes a whole life right you can just get it down to its essence and then that's what this story has done yeah like you said like maybe for your story you realize that in order for the reader to like appreciate that emotional arc at the end they needed that backstory and like for this one it's just kind of like do we need the whole backstory or do we just need to know that he used to want to be a dinosaur yes that's right. You don't need to know like what his favorite color was. No, or like, you know, what his parents' backstory was or like even what era it was. He's waving his arms, snapping his massive jaws and tromping around a house. We don't need to know like what kind of floor, if it was linoleum or tile or whatever. We don't need to know yeah. the walls or the color or any of this kind of stuff. We just need to know that this is how he felt. He felt he was a dinosaur. Yeah, we talk a lot of, about that when uh, people think that they're writing like really strong descriptions of things and it's like, yeah, these are great adjectives, but when you tell me three times that a character's like got a blue shirt on, it makes me pay attention to details that don't matter, you know? And this yeah. is just like boiled down to like, just pay attention to the dinosaur. That's all you need no. Yeah, it's so strong. We've talked about this too in the past and I've given the prompt before, but if you've ever written a longer story like Your Girl on the Hill, a good exercise is to tell yourself, I have to reduce this down to 300 words. Like, can you do it? Can you achieve the same emotional arc? And if you get really serious about what you're writing, you probably can. And then it helps you to like blow it back up if you really want to. Even like if you had to describe when people say like, what's your story about? You have to be able to describe it pretty succinctly or else like the elevator pitch is the essence of it. If If you can't do that, then you probably need to focus a little more to get that the strength yeah it might take writing like 25 pages to finally distill something down to three pages right but once you figure out what those three pages need to be you know what your story is you know what needs to be in there then you can have your elevator pitch then you know exactly what sentence encompasses it all right but you have to put in the work at some point some people put in the work just taking showers and falling asleep at night when they're just thinking about it and then it comes to them and they know the essence mm-hmm. and some people have to write and write and write and write and write and cut and cut and cut and cut and cut and then they find the essence it's right. just you know different styles so. all right thanks guys if you enjoyed this episode consider joining our patreon your support helps us keep the show running find out more at patreon.com slash why is this good podcast And for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at napleswritersworkshop.com.